to 1 John chapter 2. And as I look out amongst the group here, I see a lot of faces I hadn't seen before, some visitors. And so let me try and explain a little of what we're doing here. We're looking at 1 John, the little letter of 1 John. And um, each, I try to make each lesson be able to stand on its own. In other words, if you're visiting and you're never going to come back again, you listen to me and say, that's enough. At least you may be able to get something from that lesson. But I'm trying to tie this, this little book together in somewhat of a, a series and, and try and make sense of it. The, this letter, First John, the words, as I said last week, are simple. A third grader could read them. There's an occasional word that's a little more difficult, but most of the words are easy to read. But the concepts are deep. And I think you're going to you'll see this as we read in a moment. We're going to read verses 20 through 27. Uh, Again, if you're visiting, that may not be a surprise. But for those of you who are here regularly, for me to attempt to cover seven verses in one lesson is uh, close to a miracle, not quite. Uh, I promise not to keep you over two hours. If your life is focused, then you know what an unfocused life is. If your life is centered, then you know what, when you're out of balance. Did I say balance? Balance. (laughs) If you know what's right, then you'll recognize what's wrong. And if you know the truth, you'll recognize the lie. As you as you go throughout the world, as I go out through the world, I see the world in a frenzy seeking truth, trying to figure out what's wrong, trying to figure out what's right, what trying to discover what is the balance in life. And it would take a lifetime. I just scan through the Internet, but it would take a lifetime to read Articles and blogs and books that are entitled things like 10 ways to do so and so. Seven steps to achieve peace or joy or whatever. 15 keys to happiness, contentment, direction. You've seen those articles. And at the end of a lifetime of reading and studying with a life full of good advice and some contradictory information... You die wondering what's right, what's wrong, or is there a right or is there a wrong? But on the other hand, if you know the truth, if you're really able to discover what the truth is, you'll not only recognize the lie, but you'll be able to call the one bearing the lie a liar. And at that point, the liar is offended. In fact, the word, we don't even like to hear that word. It's a bad word in some families. A liar will question your motives. You're arrogant. He'll question your knowledge. How can you know that's true? He'll question your ability to get along with your fellow man. You're intolerant. You're a snob. Because you're claiming to know the truth. But if you think about that, none of that changes whether something is the truth or the lie. Even the theory that the truth can't be discovered or 
that truth is relative to the individual makes no difference if there's actually the truth. If something is true, it's true no matter what the reaction is. If it's true, if it's the truth, it's the truth. Now, notice I've stated this. The truth and the lie, not truths and lies. You know, there are some truths that we think are true that turn out not to be true. They turn out to be lies. Uh, Just a quick uh, kind of general example. Scientists. Scientists will discover, you'll do some measurements, whatever, and discover a truth. And a later science, uh, scientist will come along and reevaluate, remeasure, and say, no, that's wrong. That's not the truth. Here's the truth. And so we can find, we can discover truths that ch- turn out to be lies instead of the truth. But what I'm speaking about here is the truth. Because that's what John is talking about in the lie. If we have the truth then all other true things are going to hold together based on the truth. And John's going to give us a foundation of the truth that's firm, that's solid. And when all the other factors and theories attempt to discredit the truth, he calls that person a liar. Strong words. Mean-sounding. But if the truth is the truth, That if you contradict and deny the truth, you're a liar. And so we're going to try and discover what John is saying in this little section. Let's read verses 20 through 27 of the text together. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know what? The truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even Eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as his anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. As I said, it's simple words. But to me, it's a puzzle. Uh, maybe you maybe you're so much smarter than me that it's like, I don't know what the puzzle is there. But as I read through that, boy, to try and piece that together, what is John saying there? You know, what is he saying in this text? And so I need to take get this context of knowing what is, what is he saying when he says knowing here? Let's look at the context. Verse 20 and 21. And we've covered this briefly in a past lesson, but we're going to touch on it again because it's important. He uses this word, the anointing. You notice that. What is the anointing? And it's important to be reminded because this comes up not only in verse 20, but in verse 27. This word is only used three times in the New Testament. Right here in 1 John chapter 2. So it's not something that we can go to other contexts and find out, well, what in the world does he mean by the anointing? 
He's not speaking of the act of anointing. When I first read this, to me, it's like the act of anointing. But he's talking about the ungent or the ointment which the anointing is performed. And I'm not going to go into any detail why that's true. If you want to sit down with with me later, we can But just accept it right now. It's the ointment. It's an ointment. Why do the translations say an anointing? I don't know. But it's an ointment. It's the ungent. Some translations, even old translations say that. And it says this is something you presently have. You have this ointment. You have this ungent. It's a present reality. It's in the present tense. It's not something that has happened in the past. Something happened way back. But it's a current reality. This is something you have. And he says, and we know it. Uh, Verse 20, he says, um, let me find it here. Uh, and all of you know the truth. It actually tra- should be translated, and, and you know it. And you know it. It's, the word means you know it here, in your brain. It's not necessarily the knowledge from experience. And we've talked about the word know here in First John, the knowledge from experience and knowledge from learning, from information. But you've been given some knowledge. You've been given some information. You know this. And some of you are thinking, what do I know? We're going to I'm going to tell you in a minute what you know. And the reason this is important is because a lot of people attach this to a mystical meaning uh, having to do with the Holy Spirit. That some way the Holy Spirit has mystically uh, giving given you some knowledge and, you know, things, you know, because you you, the, the spirit is telling you some things. That's not what this verse is saying. What John is saying is that the Holy One. The Messiah, the anointed one, that's what it means, gave you knowledge. You are, first of all, little anointed ones. You are Christ is in you. You are in Christ. And that's who you are now. And so what this is, is not a feeling. It's not. In fact, you will feel the opposite sometimes. This is a fact that he says, you know something. This is a fact. It's a present ongoing fact. And you know it even when you don't feel it. You know the truth, verse 21, and you know the truth. Here is the fundamental, basic, foundational fact every in Christ person knows. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you know this. Do you remember how I said John teaches something and then he expands and then he expands or, or All right. Some of you are saying yes. Okay. well, let me say it again. John, his thinking is circular. He says something and then later on he'll expand on that. And then later on, his his whole letter is an expansion of of what he began with. Look at this is what, you know, verse one of chapter one, verses one through three. Let's read this together. This is what, you know, that which was from the beginning, which you have heard. Which you have, which we have, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that we may have, so that you may have fellowship with us. We spent couple lessons on that. This is what he's saying. You know, this is what you know, that Jesus is the Christ, fully man, fully God. 
He was God in the flesh. If you're in Christ, you know that. You may not know a lot of things. You may not know what much about premillennialism. You say, I, you know, that's, that's what happens at the end. Eschatology. I don't know much about that. You may not know much about predestination. It's actually a biblical word. Well, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know. He's not talking about these doctrinal different things. We, we just took the Lord's Supper and William did a marvelous job reminding us that every person that comes up, they take a different tack and try to remind us what we're what we're doing. And it says, this is my body. This is my blood. And this. Well, what does that mean? I mean, on the surface, I understand what it means. But what does it mean? It's OK. I'm glad we have children. <laughs> it's OK. I know some of you feel the same way about my sermon. (laughs) You know, you'll go to death with questions. Questions about what's true about certain doctrinal issues. But your faith is based on something you know. Here's what you know. God became flesh and dwelt among us. If you're outside of Christ, you're questioning that. But if you're in Christ, that's what you know. I'm going to share with you a 35-second clip video. Let me set it up before we get into it. And what is happening here, this is on the Berkeley, California uh, campus, and they have the open-air discussions. This is a 14-minute uh, video uh, that, I, that you know, I got off of Benny Thompson's Facebook page. And, it, you know, I'll glance through some things and... Something will catch my attention. This did. And I listened to this whole 14 and a half minute video, but I'm just going to show you the last 35 seconds or or so of this conversation between a young man and someone who's defending uh, the faith, the Christianity. This is the young man's final statement. They've been talking for a while. And he he finally says, I got to go to class. So this is this is this sums up what I this sums up what I'm trying to, to say and it just fits with what we're trying to say ourselves. Let's run that clip. Hey, so my friend here. Okay. But just okay, the last thing, you know, just what I wanted to say. Yeah. All right, on the that, you know, about you know what you know what we believe and what we look at. Okay, I would just I would just implore you to say that, you know, we're not you know, we're not following some like wrong all right, what we're you know, what we're doing is we're looking at evidence, you know, empirical evidence for science, for history, for all these things, and we're making judgments based on the evidence, all right? And it doesn't require blind belief. And you're arguing that we should all just make yo, screw that, we'll just get rid of it to follow your blind belief. And I'm just letting you know, I'm not gonna man. I'm totally I'm I'm over it. So tonight's talk to you. I have to go about You know, I listened to that clip and I, I, for 14 minutes. I like that guy, I'm the non-Christian. All right? <laughs> I relate to these. I, I don't know what kind of people you relate to. I relate to this kind of person. I, I think I understand where he's coming from. Maybe it's because I used to be a hippie. I don't know. It's hard for you to imagine, but it's true. 
But I relate to that guy. I, could, I would love to sit down and have coffee with him. I would love to play ping pong with him. I'd love to go skydiving with this guy. I like him. I really do. I might not like him after our first meeting, but right now, I like this guy. And he had something that he, he is trying to explain. This is how I think, and this is where some of you are right now. Some of your friends are here, too. What he, is, what he has said, if you, if, and I, I listened to it several times, but one, one thing he said, he said, look, I'm listening to what you're saying, but what I am interested in is evidence, empirical evidence, hard, fact, uh, fast facts. And that's what I base my life on. And what you Christians are saying is just have blind belief, just what, I mean, you have this, you know, you don't, you're just believing because you want to believe. And so you say, okay, and you're going down this path, and you're just, you're asking me to jump off of a cliff of belief with no facts there, no evidence. And he said, I'm done with it. And I say, amen, I'm glad you are, because now we have a conversation. I hope you're done with it, too. If you believe that Christianity is just close your eyes and jump, okay, I hope someone catches me. That's not the Christianity of the New Testament. That's not what John is saying. From the very beginning, he says, listen, this is how we know. This is how you know. It's not by blind belief. I saw this man. I touched him. I ate with him. I walked. I walked with him. We slept out of doors and and he tells the stories and other people tell the stories of what happened. All these things that are historical, verifiable history. The world thinks, and maybe some Christians have caused them to think, that we believe in a God just because we have this emotional need to believe. I'm just so insecure, I need to believe in something. So I'll just jump off the cliff and just believe in God. And so we choose to believe something so illogical and our faith is based on fiction, and we call that blind faith. John makes an incredible claim. I talked with God, he said. I walked with God. I saw him. I, saw, I heard him teach. I saw the miracles he did. All these things. I have a few pictures here. Throw them up there. One more. This is a few. All these things. I saw it happen. I was there when he was on a cross and a man took a spear and he didn't just poke him. He thrust it into his side. And I saw blood and water come out. The man was dead. He was dead. And three days later, he was there. <laughs> I, I know it's incredible. I can't, I can't explain it. Except God raised him from the dead. I saw him dead. And I wasn't this mystery. I just wasn't, wasn't something I just saw him walk. I, I ate with him and I talked with him. And for 40 days we listened to him. He was in and out. And it wasn't just me. It wasn't, a, it wasn't, a, it wasn't just a hallucination. It wasn't with two or three of us. It wasn't with 12 of us. It, Paul said 500. 500 of us saw it. Saw him. That's Twice the number of people in this room. We saw them. It's true. We base 
our evidence, our faith on evidence, solid, factual, empirical, historical evidence. And it's confirmed through the writings of the Bible. And maybe you struggle, well, how can you believe the writings of the Bible? That's a a whole different topic. But let me say, my study has led me, and I've dug into this, because I have, I have based my life on this. My physical and eternal life. Are these documents true writings of John from, his, from him in the first century? Or is that something made up 300 years later? And I have been convinced by searching this out that this is what... A man named John saw and wrote. It's not made up. And if you're struggling with that, good. Struggle with it and search because the answers are there. Men do not die for a lie. If they know it's a lie. And all these men died because they knew that is the truth. God came in the flesh. That's the truth. I've walked in the Colosseum at Rome. And it's a historical evidence, a monument that people, thousands of people walked into that building, that that Colosseum, and gave their life for, for someone they said, he is the Christ. This man was not fully, was fully man, but he's fully God. And I'm willing to let a lion tear me apart for it. People don't die for lies like that. You know because the facts are there. And if you're at the point where the facts, you're wondering if the facts are factual, that's okay. Search it out. This is empirical evidence, historical evidence. And so let's take a look, go on to verse um, 22 and 23. We're going to look at a contrast to the knowing. We've already read the, the passage. John states that the opposite to knowing the truth here. And the only way he describes this, he says, the liar. He's a liar. And that sounds harsh, but is John not talking about having a discussion on some obscure, questionable point? He's not having a discussion on your position on premillennialism, all right? We're not saying call someone a liar if they disagree with you on that. But there are some things we disagree on. Each scripture, each person has a scripture on it. And he's not saying if you disagree with someone, call that person a liar. But he's saying there is on this point no compromise. At this point, it is the truth or if you oppose it, you're the liar. And he states it in the negative. He says he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. In the Greek, there's a double negative. And in English, when you have a double negative, it makes it a positive. But in the Greek, it means it's really, really, really negative. All right. And so he says, to state that Jesus is not the Christ is to be the liar. You're the Antichrist. You deny God himself. And that's the thinking of the world today. You don't have to go very far from this door to find that this thinking that Jesus is a myth. Now, perhaps he really lived. Perhaps he was a good teacher. One writer says, who's a Greek scholar, says, this is the liar par excellent. The lie of the liar of the lie. He really strengthens it here. He says someone who denies that Jesus is Christ, there's no compromise. He is the liar. The statement that he is the Christ means that he's God's anointed. He is God's priest, 
king, uh, prophet. He's God in the flesh. He is a revelation of who God is and all that God said that is true and right. He is the truth. And so this is where he anchors. This is where John anchors it. This is the solid foundation. This is where you, if you got to get a hold of this if you get nothing else. And if you go through life, if this is your anchor, that Jesus is the Christ and every implication that that is attached to that. If Jesus is not the Christ, there is no salvation. Salvation is found in no other name, uh, Acts 4, verse 12, than the name given under heaven by which men must be saved, Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not the Christ, if he is not God's anointed one, there's no salvation. If Jesus is not the Christ, there's no direction. There's no purpose in life. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the direction. I'm the purpose. If Jesus is not the Christ, all truth is relative. You have your truth. And this person has their truth and it's just what, what, whatever you go your way with your truth. I'll go my way with my truth. It's relative. Jesus said, I am the truth. You see the implications. If Jesus is the Christ, he said, I am the truth. That means it's objective. He is the truth. If Jesus is not the Christ, there's no life that's really life. First Timothy chapter six, verse 19 says that they may take hold of life. That's truly life. What's life? That's a good that's a good philosophical question. What's life? And Jesus said, me, I am life. I am the life. And so we attach ourselves to him because he is God in the flesh. And he said he's life and all the implications that go with that. If we go down that road, we'll be like the world wandering and wandering. Did I say those right? Wandering and wandering. One starts wandering around, wondering what's going on. That's what the world is doing. Just wandering around, wandering around, wondering what's going on. Philosoph- having philosophical debates, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. When you have time, read Second John, Second, excuse me, Second Timothy. Chapter three, read the first six or seven verses. It describes the world so well, describes the, the quarreling, the deception of the, uh, the people being lovers of themselves, boastful, unforgiving, proud. This is this is how the world is. And he says in that list, never able to acknowledge the truth, never able to open their eyes and say the truth, Jesus, the truth. He says, you miss the son, you miss the father. Verse twenty three. Verse 23 says, um, no, one who deny, uh, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. You miss the Son, you miss the Father. You acknowledge, confess, agree that the Son of God is who He is. Then you know God, He says. The road to God is through the Son. You cannot deny the Son. You can't say He wasn't who He claimed to be and get to the Father. Jesus said it Himself, I am the way to the Father. To confess, to acknowledge is to say the same thing that the others said. And the same thing that Jesus said he, when he said, I'm the way, the truth. Jesus said some hard things. It's, you, you want to deny it sometimes. You want to, to maybe tweak it a little bit. But if he is the truth, that's the truth. And we live in a world that's kind of a Unitarian world. It's like just all everyone just believe what you want to believe. 
All religions, they kind of join together, many paths going to the same God. And it may be, sound harsh, but John says, that's not true. There's not many paths to the same God. If you deny the Son, you deny the Father. You want to get to God, you've got to get through the Son. And here's our problem. Here's the, 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 the struggle that we have. When we, when, we, when we have this solid foundation, we then say, and this is really being taught, I think, to our young people. It's taught to me when I was young. That, you know, Jesus is perhaps a good way to God. Or maybe even a very good way or even the best way to God. But there's other roads. And how can I say my friend doesn't have God and he's such a nice person? He's a really good person. They don't say they're, they're, uh, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. How can I say they're lost? I feel so judgmental. I feel so intolerant. I feel so harsh and mean. And John's not calling us to do any of that. What he's calling us to, see, we're making those implications and other people are for us. But what he's calling to us is saying, I want you to anchor on something. This is your firm and solid foundation. Jesus is the Christ. First Corinthians 3.11 says there's no other foundation than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so there's really no judging anyone into hell. I'm not God. I can't judge anyone into hell. There's really no intolerance of people. We're called to love people. And we'll look at that later on. And as they struggle through their faith, we just love them. We're not judging them. We're not being intolerant of them. We're trying to help them. John's not calling us to be harsh or mean. But he's saying this. Take a firm stand on the truth. The truth. If there's in, any intolerance in a position of who Jesus is, if I can say, well, I'm not sure, then my faith is wishy-washy. I give that up, really, I give up everything. I have no faith. I give up everything. I'm a ship without a rudder in the sea of life. That's all I am. If I don't have that as my firm foundation, I have nothing. Now, what I have is myself. That's what I have. And sometimes I don't like me. <laughs> That's all you have. Let's see what the charge of knowing is. He, he gives us the charge in verse 24 through 27. He says, see that what? Th those three words. See that you do this. And he's giving you something to do here now. He's saying, now I want you to do this. It's an imperative. It's a command. He says, make sure you do this. Make sure that your lifestyle is, is, in, is on this foundation. Make sure you do this. And what does he say to make sure? Make sure that you remain Remain in him. I've told you that the word know is an important word in John. It's used like 50 or 40, 30 something times. The word remain is an important word too. It's used 24 times. It means to take up a permanent residence. This is your fixed state. This is where, this is your home. Uh, several translations will translate the word at times live. This is how you live. This is your, your status. This is your current state. This is your home. This is where you settle, settle down. This is your abode. And so he says, make sure that what you heard from the beginning, the fact of who Jesus is, 
is a per, you're a permanent resident in that fact. It hunkers down in you. The truth is the center of your life. Not the truth. The, the truth that Jesus is, is the Christ is the center of your life. The fact that Jesus is Messiah, all the implications that we've talked about, settle down, become a permanent fixture in your life. And he says the result of that, verse 24, is that you will make your permanent place in the Son and in the Father. Now, a person can choose not to do this, can choose not to maintain their faith. And that's why he's saying, see that you do this, see that you, you, you remain, it's something that you do. It's like maintaining a car. I was driving my truck yesterday and I thought, you know, I hadn't checked the oil in a while. I'm glad I did yesterday because it was low. And if I had driven it very much longer, I'd be looking for a new vehicle. You've got to maintain these things. You've got to check on them. And that's the way your life is. Every now and then you've got to check on them. You've got to maintain them. You've got to say, do, what do I need to do here? What, you know, how do I need to uh, uh, fix this or fix that? You've got to continually maintain your faith. And he says, see that you do this. See that you, that you make sure that you uh, focus here. So how do we do that? How do we remain? How do we stay there? Here's a bunch of ways. You need to read about it. You need to think about it. You need to talk about it. You need to sing about it. You need to act upon it. And it's the same. We go back to the basics over and over. We were talking about this in the Bible class this morning. You just, we just continually have to come back here. This is how we maintain. This is how we maintain. Sitting here, singing and talking about things, thinking, you know, I want to do a sermon one day, the Days of Elijah song. I think it would be a great sermon. What are we singing there? These are the Days of Elijah. Do you have any clue what you're saying? It would be a great sermon. Maybe one of you can do it one day. But that's what we're doing. We're singing and reminding and making us think. And we're going into the word and we're being reminded. And we talk to each other and we share our faith and we're challenged and we respond to that. That's what it's talking about here. This is how we maintain it. And it's all centered on God. That's another thing we find in First John. It's centered in God. We have a theology. Theo is God. Theology, not an egology. Ego. Ourselves. We center around God, not me. And he says, I have a promise. God has a promise attached to this verse 25. Eternal life. The promise that God himself promised. Life. And we have a desire to live. I was talking to Fred earlier. He's going through cancer treatments. You want to live. Even when you know you're going to die, you want to live beyond our death. And God says, I promise you eternal life. Continual life, life the way it's supposed to be, real life, abundant life. It starts when you come into Christ. It's the eternal life that is of quality and quantity. And this is eternal life, John says, and Jesus said in John 17. Now, this is eternal life. What? That they may know you, the only true God. This is life, eternal life, knowing God and Jesus Christ, Messiah, who you have sent. Verse 26 says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. That word can be translated who are try, trying to cause you to wander away, just wander to and fro. The young man who 
was speaking on that video clip, his name of all things was Jacob. Some of you know what the meaning of Jacob is? Liar. And I like Jacob. But there's people who are confused and they're causing, they want you to wander with them. You know, it's no fun to be lost. Ever been lost? Lost out in the woods? It's no fun. It's terrifying to be lost alone. No one wants to be lost alone. And the world is full of people who are alone and they're lost. And a confident Christian is a threat. You think it'd be a comfort to give up their state of lostness. But to do that, they have to give up themselves. They have to give up being me-centered. They trade a me-centered existence for a God-centered existence. And for some, that's too high a price to pay. So they just want, they want you to come, come with me. This is the road we're going. Look at this. Wonderful. And you just wander all over the place. Verse 27, he says, as for you, the anointing remains in you. No one needs to teach you more about this. This anointing, remember what the anointing is? Jesus is the Christ. That's the anointing. You know that. That remains in you. You don't need anyone else to tell you anything about it. That's the truth. You can live your life based on that. And springing from this solid foundational truth comes every other teaching you need to learn. He says, but as the anointing teaches you about, teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real. Jesus is a Christ is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught to you. So remain in it. Stay there. Don't leave that. This is real. There's nothing fake here. Nothing counterfeit here. Remain there. Let me sum it up with a, with a paraphrase and then we'll be dismissed. Verse 20 through 27. However, you now have a present and continual ointment from the holy. You all know. I'm not writing this to you because you are not aware of the truth. You know it. As clear as a bell, it rings true in your ears because no discordant sound emanates from the truth. No lie can mix with the truth. So who is the liar, the false and faithless man? It is the one who says no to the fact that Jesus is the anointed one, fully God, fully man. This one definitely opposes Christ and thus says no to both the Father and the Son. You can't say no to the Son and claim a relationship with the Father. Whoever says yes to the Son also is saying yes to the Father. You, and this rests firmly on your personal responsibility, must continually let what you heard from the beginning Abide in you as a way of life. If you do this, then you will actually and effectually have a permanent, secure, and comfortable home in the Son and in the Father. And you can count on it. He himself made the promise. Eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to cause you to wander all over the place. Missing the point of life. Direction of life. Life himself. As for you, the ointment, the good news of God becoming man that you receive from him is firmly anchored in you. There's nothing to add to that. There's nothing further that someone can teach you or any deeper knowledge to obtain. And springing from this solid foundational truth comes every other teaching you need to learn. 
This is real, not something made up. So since you've learned your lesson, stick to that teaching. That's our foundation. Everything else comes from that. Give that up, you give up everything. And John says, anchor yourself there. Don't let it go. Remain in in him. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And every, our whole life springs out from that. If you're outside of Christ, you're wandering. You're just wandering. And you might like your wandering right now. 